You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 31. Today's reading is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and verses 47 through 60. In those days Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, arose and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Is this so? And Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Depart from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land which I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And his father died. God removed him from there and into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him in possession and to his posterity after him, though he had no child. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth against him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together upon him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Father, two weeks ago, we discussed Peter's use of Old Testament scripture to convince his hearers that Jesus was the Messiah. And at that time, we read in chapter 2 of Acts that they were cut to the heart. And then thousands were baptized. And in a similar manner, today we read that Stephen used the same rationale in his argument, and yet the end result was very different. 
Why was Stephen unsuccessful here? Well, a couple of things I'd highlight. First, something I often point out in sermons and in studies, I'm sure I've mentioned on this podcast before and probably will again, and that is that systematically, meaning in virtually every circumstance, the Bible portrays the institutional leaders, that is to say the powerful people, the people who have control and power in this world, in a negative light. So in the case of Peter's sermon in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, You have a crowd of people, pious people, but a crowd of people which basically represents the commoners, people who are pious, but people without any power. On the other hand, you hear mentioned in today's reading two different people or groups of people. The first you hear mentioned are the so-called freedmen, and clearly the author of Acts, Luke the Evangelist, picks up on the irony of their name because he says the freedmen, as they are called. In other words, he's pointing out that they claim to be free, hence the name freedmen, but they are yet still enslaved to the Mosaic law and the curse that comes with it, rejecting the true freedom that's found in Christ that we discussed on our last episode. But perhaps more importantly, you hear mentioned the high priest being there, and speaking up, and he was likely the most powerful and influential member of institutional Judaism at the time of Stephen. So these people, these people with authority and power and influence in this world, reject the message of the crucified Messiah, and this again should come as no surprise, since the Bible is systematically critical of the ruling classes of the powerful of the elite. Yes, Father, I've heard this from you many times, and it's undoubtedly the case. There's uh, almost countless examples, like you said, and it's rare to find a counterexample, so rare that it's normally a very specific event without a significant meaning. But I would like to ask, why, why is it that this is important? Why do you highlight the fact that the Bible is, as you say, systematically opposed to the ruling classes, the powerful, and essentially the institutional leadership of the Jews? Well, the number one reason that I highlight it is because it is a systematic, fundamental approach of the Bible. And I say that not in any way to be a smart aleck, but to simply say that we have to, or we should at least, recognize that if the Bible is systematic about something, it is so on purpose, and there's a meaning behind that. And of course, we need to discern what that reason, what that meaning is. And the Bible is this way uh, in its approach to the powerful, to the elite, I believe, because the tendency among us human beings is to use our power and authority, if and when we ever have it, in a prideful and selfish way. We tend to use it to glorify ourselves. And this is absolutely contrary to the way that God uses his power and wants us to use ours. He wants us to be, following the biblical pattern, a shepherd. The shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He protects the sheep as they are his livelihood. The king, on the other hand, does not behave like the shepherd. The king is the owner. That's actually what it means to be the king. He's the owner, the possessor of everything in his kingdom. And that's why you often see the king take wives from other men uh, that are his subjects. He conscripts their children into his army for his wars and so forth. And it's important for us to remember that we have to behave when we're in power and authority as the shepherd, as God behaves and not as the king. 
But just as importantly, I highlight this teaching of the Bible to underscore that the biblical teaching is often at odds with the average Christian today and is often at odds with the institutional church throughout the centuries. What do you mean by that, Father? Today, and I'll just stick with my own country of America, we often hear Christians talk about how we need a more Christian society. I hear Christians trying to impose into civil law their own beliefs or morality, or how we need to bring back things like Christian prayer into public schools. And I think we have to be very careful with this mindset and approach. Fundamentally, you cannot legislate Christianity. You cannot make people, let alone a nation, Christian by imposing it on them. It's something you have to convince them to adopt. And we need to recognize as Christians that if and when we are in power, to be very cautious about how we wield that power so as to be sure we use our power as shepherds who lay down our lives for the flock versus using that power as a king who thinks that he owns and possesses. And likewise, we have to be very careful, extremely cautious, I would say, about putting our trust in politicians. Like everyone else, politicians are first and foremost interested in maintaining their power and their job security, so putting our trust in them is foolish. As Scripture tells us, do not put your trust in princes, in sons of men in whom there is no salvation. So be extremely cautious of people in power and whether or not their interests are really aligned with the Christian message and the radical message of the gospel and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then just briefly, we should be very suspect of how the institutional church has used its power and continues to use its power even today. Uh, just as an example among many that I could cite, you hear stories about weapons being blessed, for example, by uh, Russian clergy, or how a military church or chapel in Russia has pictures of Lenin and Stalin and Putin and is glorifying, essentially, a war machine that is entirely opposed to the peaceful message of the gospel. Or in many circumstances, you have what is called philatism, or a conflation between the body of Christ, the church, and a nation. This is a heresy that's been formally condemned by the church, but nonetheless, you often see or hear of institutional churches or hierarchy within certain churches essentially endorsing, promoting, or implicitly accepting this heresy. And so we have to be careful. We always have to go back to the gospel, to scripture, to see through the shenanigans of this world. Thanks for that explanation, Father. I believe that you said you had one more point about why Stephen was not successful. Yes, yes. Thanks for the reminder. I always get sidetracked. But my second point on Stephen being apparently unsuccessful is to actually disagree with your characterization. <laughs> okay, so uh, can you explain for me? Yeah, I would say first that we as Christians need to reframe how we understand success. We cannot accept the worldly definition of success. In other words, for us as Christians, success is not predicated on obtaining a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. Could you clarify that maybe a little bit more for us? Sure. What I'm getting at is that we cannot define success based upon us achieving a certain result that is dependent upon others. So in this case, 
the success of Stephen is not based on whether or not a certain number of people convert and listen to his message. To go back and compare Stephen to Peter, as you mentioned initially, the result of Stephen and Peter was entirely different. Stephen was rejected and stoned. Peter saw thousands of converts. And your implied conclusion is that Stephen was unsuccessful while Peter was successful. Now what I'm getting at is that both were actually successful. And the reason for that is because our success as Christians, again, is not at all dependent on the outcome or the result. Our success is based on whether we uphold our end of the deal. So in terms of Peter and Stephen, both were successful because both preached the gospel. The fact that Stephen was rejected, it's not his fault. It's the fault of his hearers. So Stephen can only be judged on the basis that he preached the message. That's it. That's all he's supposed to do. That's all he can control. And Peter likewise was successful because he faithfully preached the message. The end result was irrelevant with respect to how Peter will be judged. And I would point to 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, through 7, where St. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So you see, our job is to plant and water, and that's exactly what Stephen and Peter did, and it's up to God whether there is any increase. Father, can you highlight why you think that it's important for us to understand this? Yeah, absolutely. It's important because we cannot take credit for the growth. We just have to be faithful to the message. If there's any growth, then that is to God's glory. But I often see and hear fellow clergy and fellow Orthodox Christians promoting how many catechumens they have, how many converts they've had at their church. And from a biblical standpoint, this is, of course, complete nonsense. We don't measure our success or our failure based on that. We measure it by our faithfulness to the biblical message of Jesus Christ. In fact, during Holy Week recently, we heard the passage where Jesus is condemning the scribes and the Pharisees as hypocrites. And he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, one convert. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And I highlight this and say this as a convert myself. We many times make converts into twice as much a son of hell as they were before. And I'm an example of that. I was what people sometimes uh, refer to as a Bible beater. And then when I became Orthodox initially, it made me twice as much a son of hell. In addition to the Bible, I could use Orthodox tradition and canon law and history to try to beat people into submission to my arrogance, into my beliefs. And I should note that this behavior was in no way the fault of my priest at the time. It was my own immaturity. And in fact, my priest, as well as my experience at seminary, helped me reprioritize and hopefully come more in line with the gospel. But in any case, success is not dependent on the results. It's dependent on our actions and specifically our action of being faithful to the gospel. So pointing to our results, even glorifying our results, is anti-scriptural. It's counter the gospel. And then to look at it another way, if you're faithful and if there is not growth, then we continue on being faithful. We don't blame ourselves or depart from the message. 
in order to have more so-called success in getting greater numbers of people. We just keep preaching the message of Christ. That's it. That's our job. And here I would conclude that we never know the long-term impact of our faithfulness. We never know what God has in store. As Paul said again in 1 Corinthians, God gives the growth, and he gives it in his own time. And so I would conclude that even if, and again this is not necessary, but even if we were to look at it from a worldly perspective, Stephen was way more successful than even Peter on the day of Pentecost. Mm. And why do you say that? Because look who appears at the end of the story, a young man named Saul. And of course this Saul is eventually renamed as a Christian Paul. He wrote 1 Corinthians that I've just quoted. And Paul goes on to be the apostle to the nations. He goes on to be the great defender of the Christian message of the gospel of Christ, even having to withstand Peter's flip-flopping as detailed in Paul's epistle to the Galatians. So again, to highlight, Stephen appears to not be successful, and he was not still around, alive in the body, to see the growth that God gave from his speech. But nonetheless, his speech, his faithfulness planted a seed in this young man Saul, who then goes on to become the apostle. And quite arguably, none of us would be here today preaching and listening to Jesus' message were it not for Paul, and perhaps Paul would not have become the apostle to the nations were it not for Stephen's speech and his faithfulness to the message. So to sum it up, our success is not predicated on the end result, and certainly not the most immediate results. Our success is predicated very simply on us sticking to the message of Christ, preaching it regardless of the outcome or consequences, and letting God do His work to give the growth in His time and in His way. Great discussion today, Father. Thank you. Today's episode focused on a comparison of the apparent outcomes of both Peter and Stephen's sermons in the book of Acts. First, we were reminded that the Bible is systematically critical of those with power and authority. As humans, we have a tendency to use our power and authority in a prideful and selfish way, which is contrary to what God intended. In contrast, the Bible consistently teaches us to behave like a shepherd, one who is willing to lay down our life for our sheep. We then examine the outcome of Stephen's ministry. At first glance, it may appear that Stephen failed, having an outcome entirely different from that of Peter. But as Father Aaron explained, we must be careful not to judge our success based on our results. Rather, our success should be determined by whether or not we were faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is to plant and water. Whether it will bear fruit is in God's hands. If we reframe our thinking in this context, we can see that the outcome of Stephen's ministry was even more successful than that of Peter. Stephen planted a seed in a young man named Saul who later became the Apostle Paul, the great defender of the gospel of Christ. And because of St. Stephen's faithfulness to the gospel, we now have many of St. Paul's writings preserved in the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, alleluia.
Hallelujah, glory to thee, O God, O our 